0: Hi, everyone. It's Kathy from Net Capital, and welcome to Funding Innovation. Today, we're talking about how entrepreneurs can start raising money from scratch, including how to build a list. But first, our CEO, Rob Burnett, will explain how regulation crowdfunding works. Then, he and our campaign manager, Paolo, will explain how to build a list from nothing and how to customize your pitch to each audience. So, Rob, first, my yeah. first question is why would. An entrepreneur or an issuer choose equity equity crowdfunding over venture capital.
1: It's a great question. Uh, I mean, venture capital is a very broad term, uh, and but you know, if we if we think about it more narrowly, it probably that term probably encompasses two different types of funding. One would be kind of early stage, maybe angel or angel group or early stage VC funding, and the second would be later stage VC funding. Uh, In both cases, you're talking about either high net worth individuals or institutional investors. So VC funds have rules, um, they're managed, they're they're kind of official organizations. And taking money from either either of those groups or angel groups or venture capitalists typically comes with some pretty significant strings. Um, First and foremost, uh, they're likely going to, uh, when they invest in you, take um, something called preferred equity which means they get special rights and preferences over the common stockholders, which would typically be the founders. So things like um, liquidation preference. So something where they get their money first back uh, in the in the event of an exit. Um, and also some control preferences, like uh, maybe having a board seat or the ability to vo- vote on certain actions and veto certain actions. Um, so uh, accepting investments from venture capital broadly, Uh, can uh, involve quite a lot of constraints. The second thing is that because those funds are funds that require returning capital to the investors, they typically have certain company profiles or growth profiles that they need to hit. So what that means is that they need a company to try to 10x their growth in order to become a huge business and go public or sell. And when that can that can lead to some perverse incentives where sometimes a company could be on a nice steady growth, growth trajectory and turn into a great solid multi-million or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars business, but that growth profile doesn't suit the venture capitalists because they need an exit. They need the company to sell. They need it to grow very fast. And so it can leave a lot of entrepreneurs feeling dissatisfied or feeling like the only options are either go huge or completely bust and there's no real in between. And so when you talk about equity crowdfunding generally, uh, there's a couple of advantages over, or at least differences over that group of venture capitalists. So the first is you can you can broaden your base of who can invest in you. And for a lot of businesses that can be very powerful. So instead of having one or two venture capitalists on your board who are helping, you can have thousands of people who might buy your product, pull it off the shelf evangelize about it, tweet about it, do all those things that can help get you out there in the market. And the second thing is in general, especially with net capital, you know, you're know, you working with typically much more founder fr- friendly investment instruments. So on net capital we use common stock, which means that your investors are at the same, kind of on the same footing as you as a founder versus having a real advantage over you uh, from an economics control standpoint. And so, uh, that's a very brief explanation of, of kind of the two options, but that's why some of that, um, that's some of the differences there.
0: Would you say equity crowdfunding is geared more towards early stage companies?
1: Um, it, depends on, it depends on your definition of geared. On the one hand, the law was written to help get more funding to early stage companies and you know talk about reg cf it's capped at 5 million so you know inherently you're targeting slightly smaller or earlier stage companies that have lower capital needs than say you know major mega businesses that might need to raise hundreds of millions of dollars um, but what we've seen in a capital is that you know typically people think of reg cf as the first money into a company very early stage you know two people in their garage but we're finding that this type of financing is becoming very attractive to middle and larger companies where they might be going they might be targeting going public. They might be worth a hundred million or more. And they found that having more investors can be beneficial to them. Um, you know some companies we've worked with, like Energyx, are, are a great example of this is they they found value in having lots of retail investors invested in them. So when they plan to go public, they already have a bunch of people interested in the stock and following the stock. Um, So while the law might have been written and targeted towards earlier stage companies, we're finding a lot of both later stage companies and companies that don't fit the traditional venture model and have grown a lot on their own, finding a lot of useful use cases for these securities exemptions.
0: Well, you, you mentioned securities exemptions and large companies. What about an alternative to an IPO? Can you explain the other exemptions?
1: Uh, well, there's something called a Reg A+, which some people call a mini IPO or an alternative to IPO. Um, it's a little different in that um, an IPO is two things at once. An IPO is is both a fundraise and a listing on a public exchange. So you both put capital into the business and allow your stock to be free floating so that people can get liquidity. Um, A Reg A plus allows you to raise money. It's a much lower regulatory burden than going public, but significantly higher regulatory burden than doing something like a Reg CF or a private placement. Um, But in those securities exemptions, I'll do allow the stock to be free trading, but they don't automatically make it free trading. So uh, there's, you have to, there's a whole lot you have to do there to to get that stock onto a public market, but those two can work hand in hand.
0: let's go back to the smaller companies, the people who may not have raised any capital or just friends and family. Do you think that a reg CF raise is more suited to somebody who's already done a friends and family round or can, can you have raised no money at all?
1: Yeah. So I don't think those that necessarily matters because uh, there's pros and cons to it, having already done a friends and family round. So the pro to already having done friends and family round is you typically have taken on investment. You've typically grown a little bit. Your business is a little farther along. You might have customers. You might actually be out in the market making money, things like that. The disadvantage to having already done a friends and family round is... One, you have to be careful about how you do friends and family rounds, because typically, you know, depending on what kind of friends and family you've got, they might not be accredited. So you have to be careful around how you actually took that friends and family round. And some, some entrepreneurs aren't very careful there. Uh, but alternatively, friends and family are some of the best people to drive momentum to a Reg CF campaign. And momentum is key to raising the, the amount you want to raise. And so if you've already done a, a friends and family round and already tapped into those networks that you have, um, it can leave you fewer people to invest in your Reg CF round. Whereas, if you haven't done a uh, friends and family round yet the capital can be a great first stop for everybody and it tends to be very accessible for friends and family to make an investment on a reg cf platform like the capital because we tend you know our goal is to make it easy uh it, you know, there's no docu signs or anything like that going around it's just a couple of clicks it's more similar to an e-commerce experience
0: i can think of one more question i have i've heard some issuers say that it's not a question of you know list it and they will come. There's a lot of work that you have to do as a founder to try and generate that momentum and get the word out. Do you have any thoughts about that? About how to ha- how to guarantee not guarantee but have a better chance of success?
1: Sure. There's a there's a, a saying in in stocks that far predates Reg CF and that securities are sold not bought. Um, people typically don't go and just pull investments off the shelf and make an investment. They need to be sold on them. They need to be kind of convinced that it's a good investment to make. And a lot of entrepreneurs make that mistake in Reg Reg CF. They just think that they they do the field of dreams model. If you you build it, they will come. They'll just put it up there and hope that people see the brilliance of their idea and rush to make an investment. And so what too many entrepreneurs, uh, I I had a a call with entrepreneurs yesterday and the thing I, I conveyed to them then is, when you're an entrepreneur, your startup is your baby, and you think your baby is beautiful. And the rest of the world doesn't really care much about your baby one way or another. Some might think it's cute. Some might think it's ugly. But most of the world just doesn't isn't that invested in your baby one way or the other. And so what it, uh, entrepreneurs have a, a bad habit of doing is holding up their baby and saying, everyone, look at how cool my baby is. And most people go, oh, that's nice. And they move on to it with their day because it's not that important to them. And so entrepreneurs run into this real blind spot of they're so blinded by the, and rightfully so in their own, that they're so blinded by the kind of brilliance or the the importance of their idea that they actually become very bad at talking about it. And so what entrepreneurs should use RegCF as an opportunity to do is get great at pitching their business. If you're a CEO or a founder, you are in the sales business. You're selling your business all day, every day. And especially when you go out to investors, you're selling them on the idea that this is a good investment that this company's going to going to make it. And so I find it's really important for companies to, one, really prepare ahead of time and think very deeply about what is the value proposition that they're proposing. And then, two, once they're actually live on the capital, it's very, very vital that they go out and talk to as many people as possible and put their deals in in front of as many people as possible and then ask those people to invest not just assume that those people will see the brilliance and make an investment of their own of their own kind of volition.
0: What is the best way for an issuer to start building a list?
1: So yeah, it's a great question. List building is one of the most important things an entrepreneur can do both when they're getting ready to fundraise and just in their business in general. And so we usually talk about list building in the context of marketing, but it really works well for fundraising too, because fundraising essentially is just marketing. And instead of marketing your product, you're marketing your stock. And so list building is the process of creating a list of prospects who you plan to reach out to to try to sell on your investment. Now, traditionally, this would be a list of VCs uh, or angel investors or other groups that make investments. With regulation crowdfunding, you can now make that list anybody. It can be anyone who's interested in your business in any shape or form. And so I typically recommend that entrepreneurs break those, break their lists down into into buckets or create different lists for different segments of people they want to talk to. So the first list is typically uh, what we call friends and family. Now, Some of you have, some entrepreneurs have lots of family and friends who want to back them, some don't. Um, And so calling it friends and family can be a little bit of a misnomer, but it's really people who are close to you in your personal or professional network who know you and want to support you. Uh, If you're an entrepreneur, it can feel very lonely at times, but you'd be surprised, you know, if you just work through your network, there are people who who will want to help you. You want to start with those people and you want to create a list and it can be as simple as, pulling up a spreadsheet in Excel and writing their name and their email address and their phone number and checking off whether you've called them. If you wanna get more complicated, you can use things like uh, email uh, service providers like MailChimp or HubSpot, or you can use a CRM, that's a sales tool to kind of keep track of these people. But either way you wanna put them on the list. Friends and family is typically where you wanna start. And you wanna start there for two reasons. One is that they know you best. And they're the most likely to give you money and momentum in any campaign is really important. So you want to start with people who are most likely to invest. The second reason is that they're people who you can speak with one-on-one. And whenever you're raising money, you want to practice your pitch and you want to get feedback and you want to improve your pitch for later investors who don't know you as well, who are less likely to invest. And I think one crucial step that a lot of entrepreneurs miss is that they just go out there and hit the ground running and talk to, try to talk to everybody at once. And what that can lead to is entrepreneurs pitching um, people who don't know them well with a less than optimized pitch. So you want to start with creating a list of your friends and family and then you want to pitch all of them and you want to get their feedback and you want to improve your pitch to make sure you're getting the right value proposition out there and you're really connecting with your audience. The second group uh, that I would put on the list is the kind of close community around your business. This can be customers, this can be suppliers, this can be even employees and other people. You wanna find those first kind of thousand people who want to be a part of your business. These are typically the most passionate people. They get your solution, they want your business to exist. And whether they're already customers or they're gonna be your first customers, those are the people you wanna target. And you wanna target them because you want them in your business. Again, they're going to understand what you do. They're going to have a high propensity to invest. And once they are investors, they're going to be of long-term value to you as an entrepreneur, because they're not only going to be those early adopters and they're going to be talking about you, but they're going to be stockholders as well. And that gives you all kinds of advantages. You can keep in touch with them. They'll just be more active in your business. And then the third types of lists I think an entrepreneur should build are what I call broad outreach lists. So these are people, these are lists of people that you're going to send mass emails to, maybe invite to events, um, maybe just digitally market to like audiences, things like that. And I would put those people into two buckets. The first bucket is, again, the people who are going to be customers of your business. So people who believe in what you're doing, they want to be participate, they want to be involved, they just haven't heard of you yet. Lists like this are gonna look very similar to marketing lists. They're gonna be people who you wanna have come buy your product they want, uh, or come use it or, or believe in it. But they're also people who you want to invest in it. And building those lists, again, is not only important for fundraising, but it's gonna be important to have for your business going forward. So companies should, you know, whether it's having a place to collect emails on your on your um, uh, web company webpage, or placing, pixels for Facebook and Google analytics on all of your accounts. Uh, It can be, you know, using LinkedIn or other social media accounts to invite people to events where you then again, collect their emails, things like that. That list building should be something you build in your business. And then the final bucket, you know, kind of the the other bucket of the broad outreach list is going to be investors. And that can be everything from an everyday retail investor, all the way up through a a VC or a, a big fund that writes big checks you're going to want to target them as well. And the key difference is people who want to be involved with your business long-term because they want to be customers will understand inherently your business. And they might not ever want to make another investment, but they want to believe in you. When you target investors, it's a different message because people who kind of call themselves, right, who put on an investor hat, they're looking at deals all the time. And they're going to be much more highly focused on how does your deal make them money. How does it outperform the market? How how are you going to be successful? And that's a different pitch than someone who might not actually care that much about the actual return they get, but they just want to see your business exist. So making sure you have a good pitch for investors who are looking at investments all the time uh, and who are are kind of evaluating investments all the time, making sure you have a message that resonates with them is going to be really important. Uh, and so then just to reiterate, Every entrepreneur should be building lists all the time, prospective investors, prospective customers. And you should break those lists down into what type of prospect that is so that you can target them effectively. Uh, And then practice your messaging on each of those lists to make sure that you're optimizing, hitting it right, getting high conversion. Um, And when all that comes together, that's typically how you put together a really strong campaign over the long run.
0: Excellent. Right. Thank you. And just one question for my clarification. Sure, This all needs to be done after they go live?
1: So so that you can start list building before you go live, but you have to be careful about what you say. You can't talk about the fundraise. You can't talk about the terms of the fundraise. If you're going to test the waters, you need to have the proper disclosures. Um, so I think companies should start list building from day one, but they should be very generic about it. Hey, you want to learn more? Sign up for our email list, things like that. And then um, only after the campaign is live, do you actually start talking about the fundraiser itself. So my best practice, even prior to considering
2: going the crowdfunding way, is to start building lists. So start building that community. That might be through social media, the call to action can actually start gathering emails, for example. Or you can do book- in very different ways depending on the actual network that these companies have but the fact that they can start building lists and then start updating them we typically recommend emails um just because it's very intimate to get into a person's inbox so getting these emails and being able to send maybe it's weekly newsletters maybe it's monthly newsletters but getting people really really excited and knowing who you are and knowing what you're about That way, if you were to go the crowdfunding way or whatever you'd be doing, you already have a community of people that back you, that believe in you, and that will typically be the first people to invest.
0: And so you're talking about building a community, which is important, but what if they don't already have an email list? How can they go about building
2: a list? Definitely call to auctions everywhere in whatever it is they're doing. If that's pitching their company, if it's going through accelerators, any mentors that you need asking them, can I take your email? Would you be interested in learning more? And actually getting people to opt into these emails. So we don't wanna be buying email lists, although that could work. And that would be another strategy of like warming up that list and getting people to opt in. You do want people to want to be part of, to receive your emails basically. So you want them to willingly give you their email addresses and that's gonna lead to higher open rates, higher click rates and actual engagement. Once you actually start building that list and it could start with maybe five people getting them like, Hey, now that you know, our vision and our mission, you know, our team, do you know other five people that might be, might be interested? Can you forward this email and get them to subscribe as well? That way you start getting people that are actually interested in learning what you're doing and that actually want to follow your trajectory. And that's going to be super important to like build that community. That's also going to help you when you start actually, you actually have a product to launch or whatever it is that you're doing, getting those people excited that they're going to be your brand ambassadors, basically, and the first ones to follow along.
0: And we often run into situations where sometimes issuers think that it's a case of build it and they will come, but that isn't true,
2: is it? that is not true a fundraising is a lot of work and there's going to be so many no's before there are yeses so that list isn't going to be an automatic conversion either you're going to have to continue engaging that list and in the case that you were alive it's not going to take one email to get them to convert it might get a couple of people to convert but you still have to continue pinging the, these people and continue to get them excited it might even be depends on how big that list is maybe at the beginning you want to set up 30 minutes the child with the with the founder if that's something that you can do and you have the time to do that might be super interested so getting people to actually meet with you for 30 minutes one-on-one ask any questions that they might have you can also host webinars q and a's just getting people in front of you um that way you can actually share your mission and answer any questions like there's a lot of hesitation in investing in startups so obviously it's super risky so actually getting them to ask questions that they're worried about and Well, practicing those pitches, also perfecting your pitch. These people that opt into your list are gonna be great to help you tailor that pitch. It's gonna be, at the beginning, it's gonna be a smaller list that might be willing to actually share insights with you. What didn't resonate, what didn't click, or whatever it is that way, when you actually start building that list and it gets bigger, you've already perfected that messaging as well.
0: That's our show today. Thanks for listening. And please get in touch if you have any topics you'd like us to cover in the future.